Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. I swear to you that what I'm about to share is an account of a harrowing experience that truly occurred. As a member of the park ranger team in Yosemite National Park, I never imagined encountering anything beyond the natural wonders of the wilderness. Yet fate had a different plan for us. It was an ordinary day when the call came in about the strange and prolonged solar eclipse casting an eerie darkness over the park. 
Our leader, John, wasted no time in assembling the team to investigate this perplexing phenomenon. We set out with a mix of curiosity and trepidation, uncertain of what lay ahead. As we journeyed deeper into the heart of Yosemite, the darkness seemed to intensify, enveloping the once vibrant landscape. The forest canopy, once dappled with sunlight, was now a canopy of shadows. It was an unnerving sight, but we pressed on, determined to uncover the source of this unnatural eclipse. It was during this journey that we first caught a glimpse of the unsettling figure lurking amidst the trees. It stood tall and imposing eight to nine feet, or perhaps even taller, casting a long and eerie shadow that seemed to stretch beyond what was physically possible. The figure's eyes were what caught our attention first. Large and shaped like those we've seen in depictions of aliens, they shone with an otherworldly gleam. They pierced through the darkness, unnerving us to the core. The being itself was a void of blackness, a darkness so profound that it seemed to absorb all light around it. Its cloak, if one could call it that, flowed like liquid shadow, defying the laws of physics. At times it appeared to wear a peculiar, toboggan-like cap, but the darkness melted it seamlessly with its cloak, obscuring its features further. As we approached, we could see that the figure was emaciated and gaunt, with an unsettling air of fragility about it. Yet its eyes held a hint of intelligence and a gleam that suggested something beyond our comprehension. It stood there motionless, with no visible hands or feet, simply staring straight ahead as if locked in a trance. We were baffled and intrigued our scientific minds yearning to understand this enigmatic presence. Slowly, we attempted to approach the creature, hoping to examine it and record this unparalleled encounter. But it was not as oblivious to us as it appeared. With an unnerving speed and agility, it turned towards us, its large eyes locking onto our team. In that moment, an inexplicable feeling of dread washed over us. It was as if we were intruders in a realm not meant for human eyes. Before we could react, the creature grabbed a hefty rock and hurled it towards us with a force that defied its frail appearance. The rock sailed through the air, barely missing us as we stumbled backward in fear. A shrill and otherworldly screech erupted from the creature's mouth, an unsettling sound that seemed to penetrate our very soul. Before we could gather our wits, the shadow figure vanished into the dense woods, leaving us shaken and unsure of what had just transpired. Fear had gripped our hearts, but an insatiable curiosity gnawed at our minds. As the days wore on, the prolonged solar eclipse persisted, casting an impenetrable darkness over the park. We continued our investigations, but each day the shadows seemed to grow denser and our vision became limited. With the eclipse showing no signs of ending, our sight began to fail us. The darkness enveloped us, and we were left fumbling in a world of shadows. Panic surged through our ranks as we wondered if we would ever escape this endless night. And then, as suddenly as it had begun, the solar eclipse ceased. The sun's rays broke through the darkness, blinding us for a moment as we slowly regained our vision. Confusion and relief washed over us as we looked around unsure of what had transpired. The unsettling figure, the creature of darkness, was nowhere to be seen, 
Had it returned to the shadows from whence it came, or had it vanished to a realm beyond our comprehension, Let me share with you this true story. One day, my family and I were driving down a road bordered by a whole bunch of woods. As we were driving, something caught my eye in a nearby field. At first glance, it seemed like a bear, but upon closer inspection, I realized it was not a bear at all. The creature stood tall, about eight to ten feet, according to my dad, with the grass reaching up to its knees. We had a clear view of it for about seven to ten seconds. Startled, I exclaimed, Guys, did you see that? To my surprise, my dad responded, Wait, you saw that too? The creature was covered head to toe in thick four-inch long hair, standing on two legs like a human. After returning home, my dad and I decided to venture back to the same area the following day to investigate further. And believe it or not, we stumbled upon a 17-inch long footprint. Intrigued, we spent 45 minutes exploring the woods, and the area seemed like a suitable habitat for a Bigfoot. That day, I became convinced that what I had witnessed was indeed a Bigfoot. Near Strasburg, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, August 1978, afternoon, three Amish men were working in their field when a strange-looking man approached them from a neighboring farm. The man was yelling, jumping about. The Amish men were alarmed and noticed that this man had arms, legs, and a face that seemed different, more animal than human. He had coarse dark hair on his limbs and face and wore dark and tattered boxer shorts. As the man, creature approached closer, he yelled something, but it was not understood by the men. The men ran towards their house. The man, creature was behind them. One of the Amish men ducked into the dairy barn, and the other two immediately entered the house. An elderly Amish woman, who had been in the garden, came to see what was taking place on. When the man, creature saw her, it stopped running, sat down on the grass, and stared at the sky. The men came out of the house, and one slowly walked over to the man, creature, and attempted to talk to it. The man, creature, continued to look at the sky, but muttered. The man and woman noticed that a horrible stench permeated from this creature described as rotting flesh. After several minutes, the creature got to its feet and walked towards the dairy barn. As it did, witnesses noticed that the creature was fading away. Eventually, it vanished from view just before it reached the barn. Shocked, the Amish witnesses dropped to their knees, not knowing what they had witnessed. At the time this happened, I lived near St. Louis, Missouri, with my daughter and my husband. My daughter, her friend, and I had gone to a local mall to do some shopping before school started. We were walking out of one of the stores, and there were some people walking in at the same time. I happened to glance up and notice one of the women walking in. Her true face had shone through her human skin. It was the face of a brown horse, with the shape of the horse's head morphed under the woman's long, dark hair. When she noticed that I saw her true form, she snapped her head around and stared at me as I walked away. I was telling my daughter and her friend what I saw and what was happening, but they just laughed and 
did not believe me. Please tell me someone else has seen something like this and I am not the only one. I can't forget what I saw that day. I wish I could draw, but I can't. Please, someone tell me that they are seeing something like this. It was at the Chesterfield Mall in Chesterfield, Missouri in 2012. I have experienced many paranormal encounters in the past, but this one is near the top of the list. The only times I have ever smelled anything were the few times I smelled cinnamon all around me, while no one else did. It happened in my home as well as in bars. And in the car, I have also smelled a strong odor of cigarettes around me. Others could smell it in our home. None of us smoke and all windows were closed. My son and three other men were over a mile off the main road on the Cape Fear River fishing all afternoon, just before dark. My son wandered into the woods to maybe spot deer feeding in the afternoon. I decided to walk up the two rut, muddy road, thick woods on both sides to the main road because fishing was slow. The guys had a fire right on the river bank, and so I told them I would be back in a while. As I was walking along the road, I was hearing lots of scurrying in the woods on both sides. I had no flashlight and thought, man, there are a lot of deer around because this area is known for lots of wildlife. As I made it along, I was unnerved at the sounds in the forest. So I found myself steady looking to maybe see what I thought was deer and maybe it was. The woods were really dark. The road leads to a field which is maybe 200 yards or more wide, just short of the main road as I came up on the hill to the edge of the field. I was shocked to see three large orange balls moving down towards the ground and towards myself, and they stopped just over the trees, maybe a mile away or closer, and hovered there. I knew it was not natural. I am a commercial pilot, and I know aircraft. I stood in shock, thinking this cannot be real. I stayed maybe 10 to 15 minutes, then began to feel nervous, so I made my way back to the man on the river in a hurry mud and all. I then, in a panic, took off looking for my son, which was 17 years old at the time. And as I started into the woods calling him, he came towards me totally shaken, telling me, Dad, you will never believe me, but I have been hiding from aliens. I am scared they are in the woods and I believed at that time he had seen something he was serious. I told him, Junior, I just saw three orange UFOs up at the road, and it scared me, so I came looking for you. We made it back to the river, and my son, excited, began to tell the other three men what he had seen, and they started on the both of us. What I did not know was the three of them saw the same thing as my son during that time, the sequence. I am not sure, but we all saw the same. It was a clear, cold night, stars were bright, and about that time, one of the other men holding a fishing pole hollered look. Up into all our amazement, the stars looked as if six to eight of them, from different parts of the sky, moved very fast, seeming to converge in a group. And then all of a sudden, three of the objects, side by side, came over our heads and landed or went out of sight on the other side of the river. Maybe two to four hundred yards away, all three lights were round, bright white, blinding lights, as big as maybe 100 yards in diameter, all side by side, all touching down, or going out of sight in the forest, just on the other side of the river. 
It scared all of us so bad the three friends of mine, along with my son and me, dropped our fishing poles, screaming, Let's go home. We left fire poles and all speeding up the muddy road. To the main road, each one in a panic, some of the men were fussing. Take me home first. I need to find my wife and children. When we made it to the top of the hill, this is where the trees on both sides end, and the field starts, I slammed on the brakes, all of us, in shock, to see what looked like a brilliant white egg-shaped sphere with a tail with long spikes all around the middle. In front section, hovering 20 feet over the main road, 200 yards from us, and it looked as if it, or the spike part of it, was making slow revolution. This, I tell you, this is true. Four grown men as old as 50 and my 17-year-old son was frozen in my truck looking at this thing straight in front of us. The lights were brilliant white. The object them appeared to raise up started down the road in the direction that we intended to go. And then it shot off just over the trees out of sight. The three orange balls were no longer there. All five of us were terrified. We raced to Donnie's home first. He ran to the door, his wife came out, and we all told her of the story, and were all looking at the sky. Gene, who was fifty years old, lived next door. We ran him home, and then raced to David's home. His wife came out to meet us, and all of us witnessed strange lights over the trees behind his home. My son and I started home to see cars stopped alongside of the road, looking at the same lights. We made it home and was terrified, trying to calm down. We found ourselves sitting in what we call is the red room, which is my private study off of my bedroom on the rear of the home, staring out the window at the sky. I live on six acres of land, and we have a large dog kennel just in the woods behind my home, and a Chesapeake Bay Retriever, which lives on my back steps, a guard dog. She lets us know if anything from a person to a squirrel is on our property. We were home maybe four hours, calmed down a lot. No TV didn't have one at that time. I guess it was around 1 to 2 a.m., and there was a noise that sounded sort of like a prop jet flew treetop high over the house. I ran outside and could see nothing. Within 30 to 45 minutes, all the dogs in the kennel were roaring. They are all hounds, and they will tell you when there is something there that is not supposed to be. At that time, my retriever was going crazy hare standing up on her back, barking towards the kennel. My son was scared, but I convinced him to go with me to see what had the dog stirred up. My son and I opened the door, and the retriever took off, you see. She most of the time would not leave the patio, unless I go out if she is stirred up. There was frost on the ground, didn't even have shoes on. We took off behind her, and she ran just behind the kennels, and all the dogs were roaring, and she was here standing up, barking at something in the bushes along with all the other dogs in the kennel, and then she took off after whatever it was, and so my son and I ran back down the road that leads to the kennel to my backyard, at the very rear of the property trying to cut off whatever it was she was chasing. When I got to the blueberry hedgerow, which at the very rear of the property, she was still the dog making her way to me in a roaring-like panic. At that time, I stopped not really scared, but kind of numb to see this max of four tall creature person, alien, staring at me. It looked as if it had a clear glass-like covering around it. 
It appeared to have a faint glow of red and black. The face I could not see anything but what looked like it had a red set of goggles and a black or dark covering over the lower part of its face, sort of like a mask. The body appeared to sort of glow. I can probably draw it better than explain it. It then disappeared just as my son and the dog got right up on it, and my son then told me, you see, I am not crazy. This was the same description as he told everyone. I will not go into detail, but my son and I were committed to an insane asylum by our family because they really thought we were crazy. We were released within two days, and then my father came to me and apologized when he said he had heard on the radio and the news that lots of people had been seeing strange lights, and that the government reported that a Soviet satellite had fallen that same night. I am 45 years old with four children, churchgoer, retired builder, and commercial pilot. I have been ridiculed, committed along with my son, and oppressed to say anything. But I know what I saw, and four other men will say the same I have been since hooked on UFO files trying to find others that have had the same experience. I will take a lie detector be hypnotized whatever to bring the truth to the public. My son and the other three men all saw the same and have their own accounts. Yesterday, my brother and I set out on a hunting trip, eager to find a fresh location not far from where our father had recently bagged a buck from the road. Armed with our bows, we headed up a logging road beside First Creek. As the late evening approached, hoping to discover the perfect spot for our tree stand. Our search led us to a steep ridge covered in dense pine trees, offering an ideal shady spot where deer could rest during the day. At the ridge's base, a clearing cut through by the road seemed like the perfect spot for moonlit grazing. Excitement surged through us as we realized the potential of the location, and we wasted no time preparing our ambush. But our excitement soon turned to fear as unsettling screams pierced the air. We exchanged fearful glances, desperately trying to figure out the source of the terrifying noise. It was unlike anything we had ever heard before. A chilling blend of a woman's scream with a deeper and louder tone. Anxious and frightened, we slowly backed down the road, our eyes scanning the tree line for any sign of what could be causing such a dreadful commotion. The eerie screams followed us, never drawing closer yet refusing to fade away. There were no crashing sounds of brush to indicate movement, just the haunting echoes that sent shivers down our spines. As we finally reached the main road and turned back towards our camp, the unnerving screams finally ceased. We rushed back to the campsite, with my younger brother half-jokingly suggesting maybe it was Bigfoot. We briefly discussed the strange occurrence around the campfire, but the other hunters seemed hesitant to share much about the banshee, like sounds we had heard leading the topic to be dropped quickly. When asked if we ever thought about what a banshee might look like, my brother and I, being seasoned veterans of the Oregon woods, laughed and admitted we had never really considered it. As for hunting in that direction again, my older brother grinned sheepishly and pointed in the opposite direction of First Creek, saying, Now, nah, we've hunted over that way ever since.
I was in the mountains of North Carolina for several days. It was a beautiful and peaceful hiking trip with my brother, sister, and their friend Caleb. Until one early morning around 3 a.m., when every creature in a 10-mile radius was chirping, squeaking, howling, or scampering around through the wood. Being from the Midwest and having survived two tornadoes, I thought the worst weather event of my life was about to occur, and I was sleeping in a hammock. For those who don't know, just before a tornado is formed above your head, every animal in sight will be freaking the fout. They know. They can feel it. You can feel it, too. You just won't know what that new feeling is until the 60-year-old tree is beside you or being ripped from the ground. Being in the eye of a tornado is even more strange, as all those same animals in sight are frozen. Sure, they still exist, but their little soul is on hold, and they don't do much more than look around quietly. It's creepy. Anyway, this wasn't a tornado. 3 a.m., the fire we made was just embers and a roaring thunder of animals freaking out. I peeked my head out of my hammock, imagining getting my face smashed in by the first softball-sized hail, with my luck just for looking. But no, there was no bad weather. There was no storm or looming catastrophe. It was a beautiful night, aside from the roaring animal kingdom. My brother peeked his head out of hammock above me and looked down to see if I was awake. When he saw my eyes as wide as saucers, he whispered, What the F is happening? I replied, I don't know, but I wish I was up there in your hammock. Being on the ground level usually is best for guys my size, about 235 pounds. I like the grace to climb up hammock ropes and jump into bed eight feet off the ground. Anyway, the terrifyingly creepy roaring continued for about 30 seconds, and then it just suddenly stopped. It seemed to be a sweeping effect where the outside of the radius stopped first, and the creatures closer to us stopped last. But it was only a single second or two difference. It was pretty damn synchronized. My brother and I were freaked the F out. After five minutes of silence, we got out of the hammocks and started the fire up again. This time, we made sure it was big enough to light up a hundred feet out. The last thing we need is a Bigfoot or some weird shit going down. My brother went up to the ridge to check on my sister and Caleb about sixty feet uphill from our hammocks. Caleb always wanted to be in the highest possible safe spot so he could watch the sunrise from his hammock. As soon as my brother got to their hammocks, he yelled a shrieking kind of yell for me the kind I had only heard from him twice before, when his friend got his bike handlebar lodged in his stomach about an inch deep as a kid, and when he split his own head open, I ran up to the ridge with the axe in my right hand, the first aid bag in my left hand, and flashlight in my teeth, expecting the worst. When I arrived to Caleb's bottom bunk, he was in a state of shock. His eyes were wide open. He was shivering and shaking, and he was staring down at the valley. Wouldn't you know? My sister didn't even wake up. Figures low. She had her headphones in all night, listening to her folk music. Apparently, she hates the sound of animals and prefers to have a controlled mental state where nothing can make her paranoid. We woke her up, and she had no idea what the hell was going on. She just stayed in her hammock-like. What do you want me to do? 
We eventually got Caleb down to the fire and wrapped him in some blankets. I gave him a shot of whiskey to sip on, but he mostly just held it and stared into the fire. The whole night was too weird for sleep, but Caleb finally laid down next to the fire and fell asleep around 4.45 a.m. The sun came up and my siblings and I decided to leave the fire and go see the sunrise from the ridge. We all sat in Caleb's hammock, still bewildered. The sun was perfect, and Caleb picked out the best spot you could imagine, as usual. But then my brother spotted something strange. What's that? he said, pointing down the valley, right there on the bank of the river. My sister and I struggled to get his perspective, but then finally noticed a clearing. We decided to go check it out, but one of us had to stay with Caleb. My sister volunteered, as she hates creepy things. She didn't want us to go down, but we insisted. I left her my axe and emergency GPS signal thing. I told her to just scream if she needed us and to not hesitate to use her pepper spray. She just said, stop freaking me out and just go. I'll be here when you get back. So my brother and I hiked down to the river. It took about 20 minutes. When we arrived, we felt very uncomfortable. There were no animals around whatsoever. No birds, no squirrels, nothing. The clearing on the riverbank was about 100 yards upstream. We took to the higher side of the bank to keep our distance. I don't think either of us actually expected anything to go down, but we wanted to remain cautious. When we were about 50 yards away at a slight elevation to the clearing, we pulled out our phones to take pictures. But our phones were dead. Mine is known to die, but I have an external battery pack that attaches to my OtterBox that I know was fully charged. My brother's phone is always reliable and usually attached to his portable solar panel charger that he keeps on the outside of his pack. His shit was dead, too. Both of us tried to hold our power buttons, not believing they were really dead. But when we realized they were definitely not going to turn on, we both got that paranoid look on our faces. We decided to leave, but not before carefully studying the clearing for a few seconds. It was about 100 feet across in the shape of a triangle. All of the bushes and plants that typically grow alongside the river were all flattened down. Even some mature azalea bushes that typically stand six, eight feet tall were eerily laying flat. It's as if everything in that triangle shape had bent down as close to the ground as it could get. Nothing appeared broken, but rather as if it had grown along the earth instead of growing up toward the sun. It was weird as shit, and only in that triangle area. When we got back to camp, Caleb was awake. My sister had a weird look on her face. Caleb was totally normal. Hey, bro, you all right? My brother asked. Caleb just casually answered, yeah, man, doing well. Missed the sunrise, but I guess I needed the sleep. We just looked at him concerned, like, what the F? He was eating a breakfast bar and heating up coffee over the fire. We sat down across from him, and I asked, So, hey, do you remember that shit last night? He looked at me, puzzled. My brother added, you know, when all the animals freaked out and we found you. He just looked so confused. My sister said, Caleb, stop playing. He asked, what are you talking about? My brother said, bro... You were messed up last night. Caleb laughed and responded, Yeah, I, 
I figured I had to be because I never sleep next to the fire all wrapped up in blankets, not after getting that bug in my ear that one time. Lo, we continued to ask him questions, but he had no memory whatsoever. As far as he was concerned, he had a few too many drinks and slept next to the fire. We told him our story, and each of us agreed, but he had no recollection. We told him about the spot next to the river and how our phones wouldn't turn on. We pulled our phones out to show him, and they were already on. My brother had 67% battery, and mine had 41%. We got the creeps real quick. We decided to pack up camp and get the F away from that spot. But before we did, a final sweep, Caleb asked, Have you guys seen my camera? He had a nice Dester Sony with a nice lens. And that shit was gone. The weirdest part is he slept with it in his hammock every single time he goes camping. And we've never seen it, not on his body. He even specifically remembered taking it to bed and tucking it in its bag and putting the lens in its sleeve. It's like a ritual for him. He takes super good care of his belongings. We searched around the ridge and all around the fire, and in between the two spots. It was nowhere to be found. Caleb even went down the ridge a bit toward the river in case it had fallen out and rolled down the hill. But it was gone. We had to leave, and my siblings and I agreed to pitch in to buy him a new one if he would just get the F out off there with us. About three miles and one hour later, my brothers turned to me on the trail and said, Do you think he tried to take a picture of some shit he wasn't supposed to see? The creepiest feeling swept over me, and I replied, Bro, let's just forget how messed up he was and get the hell away from here. He nodded in agreement. It's been about a year now, and they haven't seen or heard from Caleb in eight months. No one has... The Oregon coastline is as vast as it is beautiful. It's one of those scenes that you need to add the sea smell to truly comprehend it. Me and the missus bought a cabin up here. After a long duration wrestling with lawyers and the local wildlife board, we were finally handed the keys. It was a simple place more designed after what one's idea of a cozy wood cabin would be than an actual economical dwelling place. It even had a moose head mounted above the old log fireplace. It was cheap, unusually cheap, like 30% less than other cabins around the same area. But it was a five-minute walk from the beach, and the views were second to none. My wife and I saved our vacation days and blew the lot on three weeks out here. The first few nights were standard. Board games, roaring fire, and walks in the surrounding forest as well as the beach. The cabin was only about 15 minutes from the nearest town, a forgetful suburb called Coast Town, imaginative, that had all the necessities we could need. Any real estate company will advertise a cabin as remote knowing fine well that a truly isolated home, no matter how fine the interior, wouldn't sell. Luxury can only get the modern man so far when he has to drive an hour to the nearest door. The illusion of isolation was good enough. My wife planned to meet her parents at the local bar. They spent their retirement money on clunky RV and have been touring the west coast of North America since they collected their last check. 
not wanting to hear about the tribal customs of the Canadian British Columbia natives. Again, I said that I'd just kick about the cabin and have some me time. I'd spent the last few holidays with her parents, so I'd put in my family time, and she knew that. The only thing more charming than the cabin itself was the yard surrounding the property. The long stretch of robust shrubbery and grassland stretching to a wall of trees that separated pretend countryside from the real deal. The previous owners must have been hunters or wildlife enthusiasts of some kind because the yard was strewn with birdhouses, deer feeders, and their bookshelf was full of fauna guides. I had nothing to do in Nettlefix's boring regardless of location. I'd still rather leaf through the various bear species of Oregon than talk to her parents. Stag, black bears, woodpeckers, blah and blah and blah. Each species had a poorly drawn sketch in the most basic information on the animals possible. Species, mule, deer, chance of seeing, high, feed, live of local flora, can be feed fruit. Who the hell wrote this? This is the most armature shit ever. I threw the magazine onto the table and made my way to the kitchen. I'd held it off for a while. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. But finally succumb to the call of beer. Drinking out of boredom isn't ideal, but it is what it is. I moved to the fridge, reached in, and grabbed the long green bottle balanced on a beer pyramid. I was away to head back to the TV when I noticed them. Initially, I had no idea what I was looking at. Kind of looked like when you point a laser pin at a wall. Two red dots about. I'd say six feet of the ground, just hovering there. I knew kids play out here in the woods, or come out here to get wasted, so assumed that this was them just messing with me. They must have known I was aware of them because when I locked my eyes on their laser pointer, or whatever it was, they both moved in unison. I'm not spending the night being messed about by a bunch of punks. Sliding the door to the wooden patio, I saw the two hovering pieces of red seem to move back. Hey, 
I called, you mind not F around. No movement, rustling, or called back from these guys. The red orbs remained in place. I mean it, guys, if off. <sighs> I'm not usually this brass, but it's pitch black out here and I just want to relax. I rarely get a break from the wife. Okay, if you don't leave, I'm calling the cops and they'll see. Before I could conclude my threat, the red orbs disappeared, then reappeared. Almost like they blink. No, they must be clicking their laser pointers or using their phones or... Then it hit me. If these were kids shining a light at me, wouldn't I see the reflection of their light against my body or somewhere against the cabin wall? Those weren't lights. I shuffled for my phone, searched through the apps, and found my searchlight. As soon as I shone the light, illuminating a slash of light on the grass in front of me, I then saw the red orbs retreat and heard a body moving through brush. It didn't sound like a group of people, or even two teenagers. It sounded like a single entity shifting its weight backwards. I was so preoccupied with my shouting that I didn't notice the smell. It hit me like a sucker punch as soon as removed the slightest attention away from the orbs. The smell was like rotting meat. It reminded me of my uncle's farm, which had a slaughterhouse down the road. I would cycle past the Cyclopean gray building, and the smell of butchered meat and intestinal gore would almost knock me off my bike. Had this smell always been here? I pinched the collar of my shirt around my nose and continued to shine my phone, light towards the glowing red orbs. Every time I would take a step forward, the orbs would retreat. I moved two steps forward to the steps descending the patio and almost in sync, like we were each conducting a performance. The orbs moved back twice. This time I must have been close enough to hear it. As the orbs shifted backwards, the unmistakable noise of weight pressing down onto foliage could be heard. Something was standing between the trees behind my cabin, staring at me. Those weren't lights. They were a pair of eyes. My body lost all sense of gravity as that realization dawned on me. I was so light it felt like I could just float away at the slightest touch. My mind was screaming at me to run, to move back into the cabin, head for the door, get in the tuck parked in the driveway, and just drive. Don't even head to cost. Town, to the bar where my wife will be pleasantly sipping wine with her parents. Just drive far away. My rational mind was not functioning. I could feel my cognitive ability physically slow down. Like time around me started to bend and wobble. I managed to force my body to take a step backwards, which caused the eyes to move forward. If I took a run for it, would whatever was staring at me make chase? This thing must have been at least seven foot tall at an estimate. A bear would surely have come towards me by now or ran when I was shouting earlier. The eyes came closer. I could hear the impressive weight of the creature come towards the light. Soon whatever was confronting me would be illuminated by my phone light. I wasn't sure I could handle seeing this creature. Seeing its full image before me, knowing that all I knew about what was in this word would crash. To have my notions of what I thought was not possible stare me directly in the eye. My spine practically shot through my back when this beast tossed the first stone. It was a small pebble like those that decorated the nearby beach. 
I could tell that it didn't throw that pebble hard, but the damage to the wall from the small lob showed just how powerful this entity was. I was on the wooden floor. I had fallen backwards and was now making my way back to the screen doors when my hand slipped on something small and round, causing me to fall onto my stomach. As I came to, I noticed that I was surrounded by apples, green and red Granny Smith supermarket apples. What the F was this? To my right, beneath the indent that the pebble had made on the wooden wall, was an upturned basket I hadn't noticed. I quickly grabbed my phone, rose to my feet, and quickly shone my phone light towards the trees. Maybe I slipped on the upturned apples and knocked my head. The eyes were waiting, staring. Another pebble landed in front of me. I knew that if I turned and ran this thing would either leave me alone or charge. I was skeptical at the odds being strictly 50-50. It didn't seem to be trying to hurt me. Maybe this was a communication. I picked up a nearby apple and tossed it towards the trees. Another pebble my way. So I tossed an apple. Again, another pebble knocked against the wooden railings next to me. Two more apples resulted in two more petals. This teat for that went on until most of the fallen fruit was gone. Why did I do this act of exchange? I cannot say. I was so exhausted from fear that I acted without rational mind. Like I was guided to do by something outside myself, the pebble stopped. I took this as a cue to step back. The eyes remained stationary and there was no sound. I took another and two more until my back knocked against the sliding doors. The eyes remained focused. I quickly slid open the sliding door and maneuvered my way backwards inside the cabin. As soon as I was past the dividing line between the complex and the patio, I slammed the door shut. Before I could sprint to my truck, I could hear what sounded like loping footsteps combined with heavy breathing. I couldn't move. My throat shut in fight-or-flight mode seemed to crash like a malfunctioning computer program. Suddenly, I could hear a large commotion through the foliage. The commotion grew smaller and quieter as the elongated seconds passed by. I opened the sliding door slightly and saw nothing. No eyes, no glow. No apples either. The yard was a barren as it was the morning I first set eyes on it. The feeling of safety fell upon me like a fire blanket over a blaze. I crashed on the couch and marveled at the sense of peace that naturally arises when you know that you're no longer in danger. In front of me was the wildlife guide I had discarded before all of this in a small post-it note. The note was from the previous owner. Hey there, sorry for taking so long handing over this place. I can assure you that it was as frustrating for us as it was for you two. Lawyers? There's an orchard two miles from here, and we pick apples every summer. Left some for you guys out on the patio. It's not much, but hopefully we can let. Bygones be bygones. Enjoy your new crib. Well, we didn't get any apples, but at least something is enjoying them. I took my phone out to call the missus and ask when she would be home when my eyes were drawn back to the wildlife mag. I had thrown it at an angle and could make out a sketch on the page. Lifting the magazine, Orogan Flora and Fauna, I saw a rough sketch of an enormous man on page. More ape than man, but the stare gave it away. Sasquatch, Yowie, Bigfoot, Wood Ape. Chance of sighting, very rare. Food, do not feed. 
Sasquatches will take this as an invitation and will be back. There is a ghost town high up in the Montana mountains, not far from Yellowstone. Few people know about it. The only road in and out fell into disrepair long ago. To get there requires an intermediate climbing skill set. It can only be attempted when conditions are warm and dry, which around here amounts to a window of a couple of months each year. My grandfather spoke of it once. The story lacked detail, the particulars lost in the fog of memory, and Pop was never one to embellish once his recollection failed. It was a story he heard as a boy, of a silver mine up in the mountains, of a creature that called the forest home. It was no bear. It was no wolf. Whatever it was refused to share the land with the miners and the fledgling town built to support them. What followed was a massacre. The survivors abandoned the town and never returned. Last summer, Taylor and I hiked and camped for a week within Yellowstone National Park. We lucked out with the weather. We went off grid and loved every minute. The last night, beside a whispering fire, we promised we would do it again. As the firmament above turned about the North Star, I told her about the ghost town. She breathed the Tory in. That's where we would go. A harsh winter is rendered tolerable by the promise of spring. It was the summer, though, that held my attention. A long break from school and a week in the mountains. It is a rare treat to do precisely what you most desire. The warmth of the sun brought with it an unbridled giddiness. The wait was almost over. We drove as far as we could, winding our way up between mountains, stripped of the white caps of winter and smeared with green and blue and brown. Taylor rolled the car to a stop on the shoulder of a lonely dirt track. The crisp mountain air tempered the warmth of the sun. We shouldered our packs and climbed. What is left of the ghost town, as far as we knew, did not amount to much. The rangers fingered it on a map though none had been up there. The location was an inherited knowledge. My grandfather could only guess as to the whereabouts. It's up there somewhere, he had said. When I told him our plans and that it was his story that inspired our destination, a smile gave way to pensiveness. He told me to be careful. I told him not to worry. The spruce trees thinned the higher we climbed. We scrambled up a rocky shoulder, and Taylor checked the map. We were making good ground. If luck fell on our side, we would get there by sunset. An impassable chunk of vertical rock face led to a detour that cost us a couple of hours. It would have to be tomorrow. We camped in a clearing with a view of our destination across the plain. In the distance, the trees huddled together as if against the cool night air, and obscured the X on the map. I wondered what we would find. There was a good chance little remained. Perhaps a few stumps where a rudimentary wooden house once stood. We turned our attention to the sky and watched for shooting stars and agreed it didn't matter. Taylor woke me in the dead of the night. The half moon hung low over the mountains. Her whispered words came out in bursts. My groggy brain took its time assembling them into something coherent. She had heard something. The crack of a tree branch, sharp and loud as if it had been snapped like a twig. And now there was a light in the pale silver glow of the moon. I followed her outstretched hand. Hanging just above the horizon, a yellow light flickered. 
It gave the impression of a candle burning in a window. Except out here, there were no windows and no one to burn a candle. I could only offer vague solutions. An optical trick played by some atmospheric anomaly. A hunting group around a campfire, though this was not a usual place for such things. Whatever it was, it lay far enough away to pose no danger. What neither of us said is that it lay in the direction of our travel. We lay back down. For a time, I opened my right eye at intervals to check if the light remained. It did, and then I slept. We barely spoke in the morning and set off in the direction of the ghost town. I was anxious to uncover a mundane explanation for the light we saw the night before. The remains of a campfire or some hermit living alone up in the mountains. The way Taylor kept her eyes on the trees ahead told me she was thinking the same. We entered into the thick patch of forest. The trees grew close and blocked the sun. Stray branches scratched at our bare legs. The ground undulated, and I found myself instinctively following it down, and soon I was disoriented. Taylor took out the map and the GPS. Inexplicably, the GPS gave no signal, and she turned her attention to the map. I ventured forwards until my boots stubbed against something solid. After a glance down, I jumped back. A wooden stake driven into the hard earth. It had cracked about a foot above the ground, and whatever once had been above, I could only guess at. But then more emerged from between the trees. To my left, a clearing full of them. Wooden crosses arranged haphazardly. Dozens of them. I called out to Taylor, my voice thin and small. I stepped through the cemetery, careful not to step on the ground directly in front of any cross. An old superstition, difficult to kick. The crucifixes were rudimentary, simple planks of wood. Some were overtaken by rot, others preserved well enough to read an inscription across the horizontal member. Names and dates. The congregation in the back corner contained no less than six, all with the same date, December 7, 1891. The massacre of my grandfather's story, I thought. Probably cholera, Taylor said, voicing her own explanation. If there is anything left of that town, we must be close. Beyond the cemetery, the spruce thinned and the ground rose. We crested the slope, and there it was. The remains of the town stood on a plateau of hard earth. A few of the wooden houses remained as complete structures. The timber warped and cracked and bleached the color of the ground. A few more were relieved of roofs and parts of walls, leaving a fragile relic of what had been. My eyes swept up the sloping mountain beyond where a rusted red limb of mining equipment poked above the rocks. Taylor approached the closest house and pushed the door. The gentle force tore the door from its hinge and it slept against the dirt interior of the house. Needles from the surrounding spruce littered the floor. She ventured inside. I lingered on the outside and examined a pair of grooves in the timber siding. Weather had worn the edges. I ran my fingers down them and wondered what could have made such marks. This is cool, Taylor said. She was right. Some of the houses contained old tables and chairs and bed frames left behind before the move back down the mountain. We found little else save a lone glass bottle half buried in the ground. We dumped our gear beside the house closest to the cemetery and set about scaling the rock in the direction of the mining equipment beyond. We found a crude staircase cut into the rock and powered to the top. 
What remained of the mining equipment amounted to an uh, off-frame with a bucket on rails to extract the dirt in a few abandoned picks. A shaft cut into the earth and was soon swallowed by darkness. We could only guess at the depth. I scrambled up a slope beyond and sat on a small rock platform with a lookout over the valley below, my legs dangling over the side. In the distance, the mountains looked blue. We lingered there for a time until the sun kissed the peaks to the west. Tonight, we would camp at the ghost town and we would stay a few days. The first sign of trouble was my red windbreaker lying on the ground beside a half-collapsed house at the back of the ghost town. When we left, the windbreaker was packed tight into my backpack. Something had messed with my bag. It wouldn't be the first time. Squirrels or birds had done it before. But I was sure the windbreaker was deep down in my bag. It would take a persistent squirrel to get to it. A second option had my heart thumping. A bear. Our gear was a mess. Our clothes and sleeping bags were strewn across the ground. The small gas burner was upturned. My backpack had two parallel tiers running top to bottom. I ran my hand over them like I had the two grooves in the siding on the house. This was no squirrel. Taylor picked up her black pan and turned it in her hand. She showed me. One side buckled inwards. Taylor gripped it and pulled at the metal to bring it back into shape. It did not budge. A bear, I said. It had to be. I fumbled in my bag for the canister of bear mace. My muscles tensed and my hands worked frantically until I found it, stored where I had left it. At least we still had that. We searched the ground and looked for bear tracks. The telltale wide paws and grouping of front and back legs together. I found a depression in the ground. I hovered my foot above the footprint. My shoe dwarfed in comparison. In no second print, whatever came into our camp did so on two legs, and at the base of those two legs were extraordinary feet. It can't be true. Someone is messing with us, Taylor inspected the print. Neither of us had ever seen anything like it. I looked west, and the sun was already gone. The sky turning a shade of orange at the horizon. Light would fade fast. We had few options. Whatever it was that had been here was not here now. We had planned to camp outside under the stars, but with something stalking the forest, we rolled our sleeping bags and mats inside one of the houses. At least it provided some semblance of security. We did not risk a fire. Darkness overwhelmed the light quickly and completely. Clouds rolled in from the west at nightfall. A light breeze carried a faint hint of moisture. The forecast had warned of possible storms. I stuck my head out one of the windows, and aside from a blurred smudge of the moon through the clouds, the sky gave no light. We were on edge. Inside the house, it was a deep pitch black. I set the canister of bare mace beside my pillow, periodically palming it to make sure it was still there. Every crack and rustle from the forest had his twitching and turning our ears to the sound. I buried my head between my knees and wondered how I could tolerate the hours left until morning. I apologized to Taylor for suggesting we come out here. She laughed it off. We'd get through it and have an amazing story to tell. Her voice trembled. I don't know what time I fell asleep. When I woke, it was still dark and my pillow was wet. Light rain made a gentle. Rapping on the roof. A hole in the roof let through a small drip. 
I dragged my sleeping bag over to a dry section of floor. In the distance, thunder rumbled, low and ominous. Then something else, closer, a crack from the forest. Not a twig, but something more substantial. And then a growl, low and deep. I shook Taylor awake. In the darkness we listened. Nothing. Had I dreamed it? No, I couldn't have. There was something out there. Should we risk turning on the torch? No. We had to be quiet. I closed my hands around the bare mace. The drumming on the roof intensified. The drip drip of the leak in the roof turned to a constant dribble. A flash lit up the sky and on its heels a clap of thunder that shook the flimsy structure we had chosen as our protector. The door flew open. I let out an involuntary scream. In the strengthening wind, the door flapped back and forth, rapping on the wall. I froze in place, fear rendering my muscles useless. Taylor made a rustling beside me, and I guessed she was moving for the door. Another flash of lightning confirmed my guess, the silhouette of Taylor fumbling in the dark for the door. She used the brief moment of light to gather her bearings and grip the door. A second flash followed the first, and through the doorway a figure emerged. Big and black, it was no bear. In the moment of light, it looked stationary. But my imagination soon put it in motion, lumbering for the open door. Shut the door, I yelled. Taylor clapped shut the door in a deep growl mixed with the thunder. Help me, Taylor screamed. Her voice shifted my brain into gear. I jumped up and scrambled forwards and fell into the door. I braced my legs and pressed my shoulder against the old and cracked timber. Did you see it? I asked. Yes. What was that? I don't know. Guilt flooded my brain. It had been my idea to come out here. I had pushed for a second summer in the mountains. Taylor could have joined her college friends in Mexico. This trip had been, at least in part, a sense of duty for her. I thought of the cemetery and the dozens of graves. The six on a single day. The scratch marks on the house made by a powerful hand. The stories were true, at least in the important details. Something lived up here. Something that did not care to share its home with humans. Taylor's voice cut through my thoughts. Should we run? No. Run where? We had to stay together. The creature pushed at the door with such force. I felt about as big and strong as a toddler. We pushed back and the door slammed back into place. The timber pinched at my shoulder. I felt with my hands and found a split in the wood. The door would not hold much longer. Through the torrent of rain, the creature snorted and spat, its hot breath penetrating the crack in the door and blowing over my neck. It pushed a second time, and that was enough. We fell to the ground, fragments of the splintered door clattering to the floor around us. I landed heavy on my right side, the canister of bear mace spilling from my grasp and rolling away into the darkness. I crawled after it, feeling in the dark and expecting at any moment to be lifted in the air by my ankles. Behind me, Taylor screamed. It at her. Finally, the edge of my index finger hit the cold steel of the canister. I fumbled it into my hands and stood. I saw nothing in the darkness. The rain beat on the roof and the wind howled and the creature snarled and in among it all I found no compass. I prepared to fire the mace in random hope and hesitated a second, enough for a jagged fork of lightning to illuminate the sky. 
The animal held Taylor close to its chest in the corner of the room. I jumped a single step, and as the world went dark again, I sprayed and hoped. The creature wailed in pain, and Taylor thudded to the ground at my feet. Heavy footsteps sloshed on the sodden ground outside the house and then stopped. He wasn't gone yet. I stepped out into the rain. The waterlogged ground saturated my woolen socks. The rain fell thick and cold. A freezing wind sucked the warmth from my body. I listened. I waited. I shivered. The first dose may not have sent it fleeing to the forest, but a second might. Where was the lightning? Was the storm spent? A hand gripped my bicep. It pulled me close. Lightning lit up the sky. My face was inches from his. I was eerily human. A thick mat of black hair soaked from the rain. With my free hand, I pushed the canister to his flat nose and sprayed. He threw his hands in the air and lifted me, clean off the ground. For a moment, I felt weightless and then came crashing back down. Soggy footfalls faded into the distance. It was gone. We huddled in the back corner of the house until daybreak. With the rising of the sun, the rain turned to drizzle and finally stopped. We kicked at the fragments of the splintered door. Outside, several vague footprints pressed into mud, partially destroyed by the rain. We gathered our things and began the walk home. The crosses standing in the cemetery hammered home that we had been lucky. Before commencing our descent down the shoulder of rock, I turned and looked back up the slope. In the gloom, a lone light shone on the hill where the ghost town and the cemetery stood. Not a welcome light, but a warning. So me and my friend, I'll name them Red, went down to a bridge that was over a river. The area was pretty shaded and trees was covering the bridge. Red and I were hanging out there and we heard a noise at first. We didn't think anything of it. Then we heard another noise and Red started running. I followed them. While we were running, I heard rustling to my left and something told me to run faster. So when I ran faster, Red looked behind me and they saw a six-fifth guy with no face standing behind me. It was in the shade. He was wearing a white sweater with blue jeans. Anyway, we got to my ATV and we turned around and saw it walking the opposite way. It wasn't walking normal. It was walking like an NPC. It turned the corner on the bridge and disappeared. We got super scared, and I tried to start the AD, but it somehow got stuck in the gravel. It was so stuck we had to have help by a random stranger. We eventually got home, but later we decided to go to a cemetery at night. The cemetery wasn't even a mile away from the bridge. I had another friend come over. I named them Blue, and we drove over to the cemetery. Once we pulled into the cemetery, everything was just gray and the sun had just barely went down. I saw some cloud of smoke right across from me, and I had the urge to go further into the cemetery. All of a sudden, I just pressed the gas. Dub got my hand. And when I drove past the cemetery, I felt this feeling of determination, and I had this thought that wasn't mine, and it was, I have to save them. And I stopped at a corner, and I looked to my left, and I saw a cloud of dark smoke. And I remember having this thought that wasn't mine, and it was. It's hunting us. 
After that, my head went back, and my body was shaking and gagging. Then I just suddenly pressed on the gas with my hand, and I flew around the corner. My hand was stuck, and I couldn't move it from the position of being on the gas button. I pulled over and showed my friends my hand. I could barely pull it away, and it was shaking. It hurt a lot. So I said, someone take over. I can't drive anymore, and I got up to switch with red. But my body was thrown down, and then I passed the gas button to drive. Blue was praying while we were at the cemetery, and they got punched in the gut, and they felt like throwing up. So they were leaned over while I was driving home. And Red had a clear shot of me. Mind you, they let go of the IV and pulled their knife out. Eventually, we got home, and Red was acting strange. So we went to my basement, and me and Blue started to sage Red. But they didn't like it. Also, Red was staring at me and smiling the entire time. So I saw them reach into their pocket, and then they stood up. I looked away for a second, and their knife was halfway open, and they were staring at me. So I immediately took their knife away, and I was smoke-cleansing Red and saying, whatever has attached to Red's body will be gone, and I was whispering barley-audible words. I opened my eyes, and Red started chuckling at me. It didn't sound like their normal laugh, so I got my friend and we put a blessing on her to get that out of her, and we both still feel called to go back to the place. What do we do? A few friends and I went on an overnight hike in the Rockies behind our little town a few years back when I was in HS. Our camping site was pretty far up there and it was getting dark. The spot we were at was nestled in a grove of trees, secluded from the wind and elements, so we decided to stop there for the night. The four of us built a little fire and ate dinner, then just talked for a few hours. Then all of a sudden, my friend leaps forward and douses the fire, with our emergency water plunging us into complete darkness. Needless to say, the rest of us were pretty pissed, as there was no reason for him to do this. He quickly shushes us, and we realize he is absolutely terrified. Like so scared, he couldn't even speak or move. The rest of us manage to get a few word out of him, and he tells us to look up on the ridge we're, we should have been camping at. It was pretty far up, so it was kind of hard to see at first. But that sight will haunt me for the rest of my life. There was a fire, a big one, like a bonfire sort of thing. Around the fire were several figures moving in a slow circle. They were humanoid, but not quite. In the end, they had arms and legs like people, but something just seemed different about them that I can't really explain. Almost like the limbs were too long and skinny or something, but maybe not. Anyway, these figures just moved around the fire in a really slow circle, over and over again. My one friend claims he could hear them singing something, but I don't remember anything. Importantly, there was one standing off to the side, a little ways leaning with his arm on a tree branch above his head. It really creeped us out, but we were able to sleep it off. We figured it was a scout troop having a camp or something. Morning came, and we finished off our hike to the peak, and on our way down, we passed the place we saw the figures and decided to check out the camp. It was completely deserted. It was obvious that there had been a fire, and there were footprints everywhere. Inside the fire pit was a small mound of charred animal bones, probably chipmunk. 
and a pile of four or five rodent skulls that had been burned. Creepy right. Then we look over at where the one figure was standing. Blood. Not a lot, but enough to be of concern, or anything but enough to be creepy. Then we see the tree branch he was casually leaning against. It was well over any of our heads, and I'm over six foot. That would mean that in order for the figure to lean against it like he was, he would need to be at least seven feet tall. Needless to say, we got off that mountain very fast, and I have never been up there again. We called the fish and wildlife rangers and told them what we saw. They said it was probably just a bunch of kids messing around and not to worry about it. It might have been just that, and we let our imaginations run wild. But all four of us swear to this day we all saw the same thing, and it didn't look like a bunch of kids in the dark. I don't believe in ghosts to the supernatural, but those mountains still scare the shit out of me, and I will never go back there again.